0: We've been one of the true pioneers in blockchain gaming and NFTs. We've been building since 2018 in the space. And it's true that like, it took us time to uh, like, convince and do our very first seed round. I think it took us almost a year to convince people that it's not just Minecraft where you put NFT and token on top of it and create a sense of digital scarcity that will work.
1: That was Sebastian Bourget, the co-founder of Sandbox. If you've seen stories about brands like Starbucks or Gucci buying up land in the metaverse and wondered what they're actually doing, what the metaverse is, and why you should care about it, then let me bend your ear for a moment. Sandbox is the place where lots of these brands are buying land and building experiences. They describe themselves as a virtual world where players can build, own, and monetize their gaming experiences. Now, as a user, you'll have an avatar, which means a 3D representation of yourself, like in The Sims, for example, uh, through which you'll play around in Sandbox. You'll be able to interact with other people, do stuff, and transact with brands, like buying some virtual trainers from Nike, maybe, for your avatar. Now, if this sounds confusing, you're not alone, and we will explain more about these concepts later. But first, who is this man changing the reality we live in? Over to you, Sebastian. My name is Sébastien. I'm
0: 37 years old. I'm actually French. I grew up in the south of France. Now I live uh, in Paris. I've been co-founder of three companies. I graduated from an engineering school in in France. Uh, From there, I did like an exchange program in Hong Kong, where I actually met uh, remotely 15 years ago my business partner Archer Madrid. And together, we've co-founded three uh, companies, so always involved into new technologies uh, and how to make them accessible to the greatest number. So we've been involved into peer-to-peer and like making video-on-demand, high-definition videos accessible at a lower cost for a content producer and um, video-on-demand. Then we sold that business, we helped to bring music clip over uh, internet to fans and uh, artists as well as sport events. Then we launched a business where like we enable anyone to upload their photo, music and videos in the clouds, uh, allowing them to share online before the Netflix, before the Spotify, and even before it was called the Cloud, I believe. Most of those companies always had like this international culture for the past 15 years together with my business partner, we always had a production team based out of Argentina. So I've been traveling well over 50 times over Argentina over those 15 years. And now that I've also been involved for the past 10 years into mobile gaming, I spent some time in the Silicon Valley, California and San Francisco, where I lived twice and also part of... Being part of the Animoka Brands Group, I've also been spending time in uh, Hong Kong and expanding our business now in Korea as well in Japan and Hong Kong. I have always been inspired by like understanding how things are being made, how things are being created. And typically playing video games, I started with the Super Nintendo. Super NES and Super Famicom, depending on your country, it's been great not just to play them, but to think of like, oh wow, we were like, who made the graphics? Who made the code? Who made those levels? And so ultimately, I grew up with this idea that one day I'd love to be able to create my own games. But as I grew up, I saw like, video game production became almost cinematic graphic production, like we needed more budget larger teams more expertise it was not accessible anymore like those old older games until a smartphone came in mm-hmm. and like again it's accessible once more to like individuals and smaller teams with lower budget but a lot of creativity and that's what sparked us in 2011 the idea of after selling our previous uh, business as entrepreneur to uh, build this Game studio that will focus on an IP-based game and with this one ID, how do we turn players into creators? A little bit like what I've always wanted to be myself. That has been the beginning of uh, the sandbox story, where it initially started as a mobile game on iOS and Android, and using those new technology, basically smartphone and touch screens, we could make anyone become a creator just by the touch of their finger.
1: Great. Okay. So that's a little bit of background. Um, Sounds very sort of casual up and to the right. Did they all get exited? Did you make money off all of them? Did any of them not succeed? Give us some background.
0: Basically, we've been able to, all our previous business we co-founded have been acquired. We have all acquired that experience. The last one was this game studio in 2000. 18, where we became part of the mocha Brands uh, group. And from there, we kept um, going uh the game studio and we actually spin out the sandbox as a separate standalone franchise and company, which uh, seed, we, we raised some funding in seed round in 2019, $4.5 million with Square Enix, trueable Venture, Hashed, and then our Series A 2020 that involved Binance and a few other, and our series being last November 2021 with SoftBank. So, definitely my experience uh, has been very versatile as the COO of all those different companies, always being involved into Web2 and then into mobile gaming with free-to-play and user-generated content. And now, uh, for the past four years, into as well Uh, blockchain, gaming, and creating this decentralized virtual world that's now contributing to build the open metaverse.
1: But what is the metaverse? Well, one of the really confusing things is it doesn't have a single definition. For Sean Puri, who co-founded Twitch, it means the moment in the future when we can start caring more about our digital lives than our offline ones. For others, like Sebastian, it means a virtual world or virtual worlds where people can work, date, and play. It'll be a fully digital version of your life, a bit like you see in sci-fi films. A great example of this is Ready Player One. And critically, there are two broad versions of this kind of metaverse. The discussion is whether one should be open and one closed. Now, an open metaverse is the kind that Sebastian is building with Sandbox, where you, as a user, can move from one world to another, taking your avatar and your assets with you. This battle between a closed and open metaverse also helps describe the difference between Web 2 and Web 3, which are probably other terms you'll hear in this episode. Now, Web 2 refers to the kind of internet experience we've had for the last 15 years or so, you know, the social experience. It's a closed experience It's dominated by a few companies, mostly Facebook and Google. It's closed because you can't take your profile and assets from, for example, Amazon to Netflix. You set up a new profile on each, even if you might use your Google account to make signing up easier. There are just millions of private companies like these. They're operating closed systems. And you have thousands of profiles. The business models are simple. You either pay to use it or, They are free, and you are the product because you're served ads to be influenced. Now, one of the reasons people are excited about Web3, which describes the next stage of the internet, is the promise of it being open. You'll be able to move from one world to the next seamlessly, or permissionlessly, as it's known. You'll be able to have one avatar, just like there's only one of you in the real world. You could also have multiple avatars. This is all about choices. Moreover, your avatar can earn digital currencies, which are available through the metaverse and the companies take a percentage of it. But in most cases, you, the active participant, making these experiences richer by your participation, are getting closer to 90% of the revenue available. Obviously paid out in cryptocurrencies, but this does make it hugely incentivizing for you to play. Now, this is a key reason. Why Web3 enthusiasts are worried about companies like Facebook, now called Meta, getting into the Metaverse. Historically, companies have created closed systems because they can control it and profit from it. But that means less profit for you. They profit much from what you do on their services and your data, not the other way around. This being said, Meta did recently receive a lot of criticism and frankly astonishment for suggesting that they would take a 45% cut in their metaverse, given that is the most aggressive percentage model yet by quite some margin. Then again, on reflection, I guess we're not really that surprised. Now, for one minute, I'd like you to imagine what the internet would have looked like if it had been closed and operated by one company. Tim Berners-Lee, the creator of the World Wide Web, deliberately made it open and free. He wanted to let anyone build on it, and that's why the internet is what it is today. It champions creativity, freedom of expression, open minds, and open fields. Now that is what's at stake here when people talk about closed versus open, and Web 2 versus Web 3. Okay, I know that's a lot to take in, but so you know, I am really excited by the metaverse and the potential for Web 3. It sure as hell isn't perfect, and it definitely, definitely needs a lot of improvement. But we're impressed that people like Sebastian are giving it a good go. So back to him and Sandbox. Obviously, for Sandbox, it is pretty essential that an open metaverse wins. What
0: is the best way to prove this vision of the metaverse and prove what is called interoperability, meaning like that one asset being able to be usable across all those the worlds? The first and fourth first that answer that comes is like, you need to have many. If there's only one place you can interact, there's strictly no difference. The second is like, you need really to have someone that will push for a vision of the main that is more driven toward entertainment, toward education, toward art, toward discovery, toward culture, essentially, including gaming, rather than just have someone who's pushing only around work or play and without any other flavors in the middle. And ultimately, that is to propose that metaverse built in a way that is not purely transactional because it's also a key issue. If the web-free and if the metaverse becomes transactional only rather than experience-based, user-driven, community-driven first and foremost, then you're going to end up into second life as we've seen before and a world that's not fun to come and to play and to make you want to come back because if it's just another place for selling you content rather than making you engage and and interact and learn things and be rewarded for your time and be rewarded for like the value you bring as you grow and you build that world. And so that's typically what we're trying to be and avoiding to be uh, as reference to being transactional only. Uh, we want to spawn and sparkle more creativity through the tools we have. That's why we chose to make those tools like no code, accessible to as many as possible without any programming language, without any learning curve. So the metaverse feels accessible. One thing that struck me very recently is this announcement from Meta that says like the monetization model will be able to reward credit with 52.5 percent of the revenue that the platform enables them to generate while the platform keeps up to 47.5 percent more or less I just found like wow how, how is it even possible to offer that uh, like this is really no longer aligned with the idea of like, how can we empower a creator if we take most, and really we're close to the 50% here virtually, of the value they contribute to your network. And I went further at Roblox, you take 70% of that value. We want to offer a model where actually at Sandbox, we take only 5% of on the platform through the royalty fees. On the primary sale, we earn the revenue. If it's made by us, 100%, but if it's made by creators, we only take 5%. And then we take 5% on the secondary transaction, which I think is more healthy and allows creators then to reinvest into like supporting uh, their business, like growing their community, and even like invest back into the platform to build their experience and expand their vision, their imagination.
1: But. I mean, Meta must be your biggest threat. So were you not delighted to hear that they said that?
0: I wouldn't say Meta is the biggest threat. Like, in general, Web2 is the biggest threat. The fact that Roblox keep pushing into the direction where, like, they grow, they bring more and more users into uh, this very walled garden of theirs. The fact that Fortnite is expanding, uh, and recently they got this $2 billion a fundraise involving Lego will bring even more mainstream audience, but will keep repeating this idea that there is no sense of a digital economy. Like we're buying virtual assets, uh, content, virtual currencies, all of that do not belong to us. Literally, like if we stop playing, if the platform closes, we cannot transfer that to another users. We cannot take it. And sell it up the way we want on maybe other marketplace and the one of the platform. So that's to me the biggest threat because we're, if we really want to build an internet where we believe that digital ownership will be a right, will be a basis where if we start valuing more our experience online and our digital content, why don't we have this right? Why are we limited to use an asset only on the game or the platform it was created? It's like telling me this pen can only be used on this piece of paper here in Paris. And so that's, for me, the biggest threat. If I want to build an internet for the next 10 years where we get to think very differently of our digital asset, our digital identity, our digital currencies, and create something disruptive and valuable for everyone, then this is really the topic we're touching about.
1: Okay, so talk to me a little bit about what you, I mean, obviously you're on the creative end because you're a game developer, but I think one of, the moan, uh, one of the main challenges in the Web3 model in terms of things that are sticky and last, it feels like um, half, of the, half of the movement is moving towards things like gaming, but the other half is sort of P E. so uh, you know, much more what's been defined as Ponzi-nomics. Where you know there are financial uh, you know incentives aligned quite heavily with the gaming, and obviously that plays into a huge human desire and natural behaviour that we have, which is why things like Vegas exist, right? Where you know part of Web three is certainly coming across like another opportunity to be a gambling casino just online and on a more interconnected scale. So do you have any like thoughts about how you how are you trying to combat this and try and make sure that you know you are playing to the strengths of like fun and enjoyment as the main drivers? Absolutely. I think really what we've seen so far with
0: P2E or play to earn, is just a first overview, but we are still very very early on the model and like it's true that in most of those uh, blockchain games, the play to earn is assimilated to repeating the same action over and over. So there is not a great amount of fun necessarily or necessarily or a great amount of like learning new skills by doing so. For some reason, it's also like you said, it's seen like the model will keep working for as long as there are new players, new entrants, which is also probably right if all the revenue source only comes from the game itself and the audience of the game. Play to earn in the metaverse, or play and earn in the metaverse, I think has a much broader scope than that for several reasons. The first one is like the kind of activity that you can do to earn will be so much more varied. So you ultimately, I believe you can earn rewards, which can turn into revenue, not just fighting and fighting, fighting over in the same gameplay, but into experiencing I don't know, interacting in social hubs, learning new skills into academy, attending a virtual concert or virtual show, dancing with your friends at the nightclub, etc. That's just how already a great range of diverse uh, options and it will keep becoming more and more diverse as like. Uh, brands open their experience and landowners open their experience on their land. So you, with your avatar that represents your identity, you have this, that choice of all those activities that can reward you and provide you a revenue stream. The second thing is like the revenue is not only coming from Sandbox or from the sales of content by Sandbox here. Like we have all those landowners who participate into this open economy, which will also contribute themselves to reward the users into Play2World. So they need to bring the rewards from outside of the ecosystem into the ecosystem to support the model, which is a model of rewarding your most loyal users, your community for their engagement and time. And uh, that I think, I don't know if it's this ultimate version of Play2World, it's an evolution. And as we know, as we've seen into Web1 and Web2, it's. Probably going to take a decade until we figure out the most optimized iteration and
1: version of what Play to Learn can be. Can you remind us? So, how much did you raise in your most recent round, and how different was your pitch in that round to when you first started? Yes. So, um, when we first started,
0: like the fundraise of Sandbox was $4.5 million uh, on our seed round. With, was led by Square Enix, the video game company, a true global venture and uh, hashed. Then we did the Series B around November last year. That one was $93 million, led by SoftBank, uh, Galaxy Interactive, Animoca Brands, Liberty City Ventures, and we are also like a van- renowned investors like um, come to us, Samsung Next Ventures or LG Tech Ventures, among others. There's been a a lot of evolution on the pitch itself, like uh, the long-term vision remains. The idea of turning players into creators, let them own their their identities remain the same. What I think has been progressively refined is really First of all, the avatar as your identity, like the importance of your avatar has been increasing since last year, specifically, as we've now all the tools to generate avatar collection that are NFTs that you can own, but also that we've been demonstrating interoperability with other externally made, externally created NFT collection not made in sandbox but you can play with your nft in sandbox through the avatar so that came following the development in 2021 nft really been growing first wave was for crypto art the second wave was actually through profile picture collection just images procedurally generated that we felt could become avatars and we proved that they could and we proved it upability. and now It enabled the community of holders of those projects to play, to socialize, to have a place where their community can connect and expand the universe building together. That's uh, something that changed. Something that also got refined progressively uh, has been with the way we were designing the map progressively, like we have this opportunity to develop a world where we do not need to sell it all at once even though we could and initially the plan was maybe to sell it all in just a matter of months but we realized that by doing it progressively by working to bring brands to grow the community the creator etc it was overall more beneficial to everyone and contributing to but develop that vision the culture that we're um, creating and that's something that Uh, You can still see today uh, as we're announcing Mega City 2 that brings uh, brands that represent the best of Hong Kong culture, like Ocean Park, Tetler Asia, Mad World. Um, There is also like uh, Metagreen by Regal Groups, etc. But also, and that's something that we'll keep doing in the months of May and June, uh, so you probably see when this interview goes live. Is that um, some of the top tier brands in the world, most reputed, most known in sports, lifestyle, entertainment, gaming, and fashion? That means, like those brands, they acquire first a parcel of land, digital real estate, which they can use to signify their presence, their entrance into the metaverse. Then they are building uh, with the creation tools, either themselves or we are building for them or the ecosystem that we've developed in Sandbox that's now come probably 70 to 100 builders, people who started their business and now have 10, 20, 40, the largest is 60 people working for them, for landowners and brands to create their experiences. That will open whether in the end of 2022 or in 2023 and become accessible to anyone with avatar and allow those interactions and being rewarded for by the time they spent as well. So it's a progressive step. And I think it's quite exciting to see that like the direction is taking as we're seeing that great diversity of brands.
1: And what's been the biggest challenge in your journey so far building Sandbox? I think. The main challenge
0: is like the back to technology, content and creativity. Like I feel like it could always come down to content, creativity and technology. So there is more and more elements and there is a, a growing community in place that is looking and needing tools to be available and tools that enables them to do things, more and more features around what they want. And... We know that, and we're adding more resource and we're building those features. But I always very frustrated that we're not building fast enough, even though we are data every month or two months content, I always feel like it's never fast enough.
1: Okay. So give us some predictions. When do you think this is going to be like, you know, um, like mainstream? Like, when do you predict that this is going to be like sort of a uh, common for people in the next five years, 10 years? Well, I wish like within two
0: years, there will be already a great amount of experience and land open that people can engage and play. And then over five to 10 years, indeed, like that world, world will be governed by the community, the landowners, the people who spend time with their avatar. And it's really turning toward like the ultimate long-term vision. I, we understand also like, We cannot take five years to show people what can the metaverse be. Actually, that was our, one of our objectives. As soon as we announced the series B and as soon as Facebook rebranded it himself as beta, meta, we wanted people to feel, okay, what is this concept that is being talking about? Let's show them some possibility and progressively they get accustomed to it, they discover, they get inspired, they want to be part of it, they feel there is opportunity for them to be part of it, and that's been our approach.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Sebastian. Where can people go to check out Sandbox?
0: Very simple. Try www.sandbox.game. There you can create your avatar and start uh, testing and learning more about the opportunities
1: there. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and I was the host of this episode. Editing was done by Lower Street Media, with Will Stollerman, our head of podcast, Bring It All Together.